Good morning. Well, we've come to the end of James. It's, uh, it's been quite the journey. Thank you for uh, journeying along with us. Uh, I know some of you are here from the beginning, and some of you have joined the journey as we've been in motion. Most of you know it's been a slow, uh, steady pace through this great letter and through these verses. Uh, we will be going into First Peter right after the new year. We have a special message the next several Sundays with Christmas coming up the new year. Uh, but we'll just roll right into the next book. So I encourage you to read ahead as uh, I think from time to time, try to remind us to do so. You guys know exactly where we're going. We're just going to take a chapter and all the verses <clears throat> as the Spirit leads us. And so that when we gather together and I share what God placed upon my heart, that won't necessarily just be revelation for you, but in many ways, it'll be confirmation of what the Spirit has already been speaking to your heart. And you'll be like, man, God's been speaking to me the same thing. I, so I, I pray and encourage you to do that. Uh, but, you know, we've been making our way kind of just systematically and slowly through this. And it's really not too unlike how I like to, how I like to go through a 100 yen store or uh, Costco when I get there. Um, my, my father-in-law and, and some of my friends, they're, they're, they are just mission-based. Like, go in, get the thing, get it, get out, they're done. But I, I'm like, I, I want to walk every aisle, <laughs> peruse, take my time. I want to make the most of it, get my steps in so I can close my loops for the day. And, uh, and so uh, you guys have been at the mercy of my uh, pace, you know, as we're going through Scripture. And... and I want to submit to you, though, and offer to you, it's intentional, the, the methodology. We, we want to consider these words of James well, of course, consider, consider Scripture well in, to, in totality. But with James, there's been a lot of imperatives. Uh, there's a lot of encouragement, but also exhortation, right? There are times where James will pat us on the back, and there's times where he kicks us in our pants. And, and both are good, and both are needed for us as believers. We've mentioned before that the letter of James is a little different in that it's, it's really practical. I mean, there's a lot of practicality in all of Scripture, but James is filled probably with more imperatives than any other letter. Uh, he is certainly an advocate of action, right? He is the guy that says, let's get her done. And what we've discovered together as we made our way through James is that James is one who, um, if I can say it this way, demands of our life that there should be an equal sign between the words we profess that we say we believe about Christ and our, uh, our faith in Christ. There should be an equal sign then in terms of then our behavior and what we do, that our doing should match our doctrine, that our behavior should match our belief, right? Our practice matches what we profess, that those things are in line with each other. He has told us that faith Without works, the idea that just mere professed faith, without any fruit, without any works, it's dead, James 2.26. Now, when we looked at those passages, and I want to pause just for a moment so that we don't misunderstand what James is saying and what James has said, understand that it's our faith, or excuse me, our works do not save us. Faith and trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ is what saves us. It's when we come into, as God opens our mind and our eyes and our understanding of this amazing and beautiful and life-changing truth, when we then believe that, we agree with that, we come to confess and accept that God sent His Son. I mean, this is what we're celebrating Christmas, God with us, Emmanuel, that Jesus, who is God, left heaven, if you will, right? He clothed himself. He came as a, a baby in humanity, born of a virgin. And the Bible says that he lived then, as, as Peter will tell us, like the Lamb of God, spotless, perfect, without sin, as a substitute, as a proxy for you and for me because we could not and we do not. We are all sinners. But he alone, without sin, then died on a cross for your sin and mine to take your penalty and my penalty 
And he died. He was buried. And three days later, according to the scripture, he rose again. And the Bible says if we believe that, we confess that with all of our mind and the ideas, all of our, not just with words, not just lip service, but that we would be saved. And so saving faith is to believe the truth of the gospel with all of our heart. What James adds to the equation is that our faith then is functional. That as we profess this, there should be fruit of that. It should be displayed and it's developed as he's walked us through these different chapters. It's developed when we encounter trials. It's displayed in how we speak. And he told us the power of our words, how we can build a life and how we can tear down a life. And we demonstrate our faith by the words that we speak to each other. We demonstrate our faith in how we treat one another. We demonstrate our faith in how we respond to temptations and trials and troubles. We get to display our faith in what we, and how we steward the blessings that God entrusts us with. And what do we do with those things? And most recently, he's encouraged us that we demonstrate our faith in how we pray, how we seek the Lord. And what do we do when we find ourselves in sin? And do we confess and do we repent and do we turn from that? Now, as we began, if you're with us, uh, we likened James to, uh, to an MMA fighter. We talked about how in boxing matches, uh, it's not too uncommon when the bell rings and the boxers come out, they kind of do this little bit of a dance, right? They're just... But in MMA, it, uh, it's not uncommon as soon as the bell rings, right? The fighter comes out of their corner charging and swinging and, and that's James. There's no dancing for him. When he comes out, when we open this letter, he comes out uh, with a spiritual flying knee drop on us. <laughs> And he doesn't relent, right? It's five chapters of him just kind of punching us along the way, although he's saying, I love you, as he's punching <laughs> us. And in some ways, that's how he ends his letter. He just, and, and as we read these two verses, it's interesting, right? Because it just suddenly ends. He doesn't sign off. He doesn't summarize his points. He doesn't bring us to conclusion. There's no affectionate greetings. There's no doxology. There's no benedictions. There's no shout outs. It just ends. It's like some of your emails. Like, did you hit send too quickly? Like what's going on here, right? There's, there's no sign off or, or you just, there it is. It's different, right? If, you, if you're familiar with Paul's letters, you, you know that uh, when Paul ends his letters, it's almost like it's long, right? That, the acknowledgments, the verbal high fives for people in the congregation. He's talking about people he's with. Um, Paul's letters end almost like a movie where the credits are just going and going. Right? At the end of Romans, he lists 34 people that he's given a shout out to and verbal high fives. I mean, Paul's the guy who who takes 30 minutes to say goodbye to people at uh, the end of, you know people like that? Right? You're like, let's go already, I'm hungry. And there they are, they're chit-chatting, they're making new friends, showing their pictures from yesterday's event, right? And we're in the car with the kids, let's go. That's James, he's in the car, let's go. Paul's the one who's just, you know, he's the social butterfly. Let me just make a note from observation of this. There, there are some people like James, and there are some people like Paul. There are some churches that are like James. The message ends, and you don't even know, like, oh, we're praying now, right? <laughs> we're left with Scripture just resounding in our hearts and minds. Not necessarily a bad thing. But there's others that are like Paul. The message is done. There's 30 minutes of announcements, and there's visiting and those things, and and one's not necessarily better or worse or right or wrong. Uh, we need both and we can appreciate both. It's God's truth through personality, through personality of people. And sometimes it's personality of, from the pulpit. But it's still God's truth. But for James, we understand his personality is. Uh, he doesn't have uh, any need for pleasantries. 
There's no need for him to have any small talk. He's the guy that's like, let's get to the nitty gritty, get it, and get going. That's James. And so what do we find in these last two verses? Another punch. He says, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back. We'll pause there for a moment. We have paused at this word brethren, I think, from, for several times. And it's good for us just one last time to do this. Because we've noted throughout our study when James inserts this word and he and he peppers his letter with it often, it's usually attached to something when he has something harder to say. Uh, it's almost like he's saying, hey, brothers, family, brace yourself. Now, the Greek word is the word eldelphes. It's translated often as brothers or brethren. And it literally means of the same womb. And so James has been reminding us that we are family in the Lord. Just as God has called you and me into a new relationship with his son through Jesus Christ, God has called us into a relationship with each other. Right? We've been adopted. We are now sons and daughters. We are brothers and sisters of the king. We are siblings. And what James is going to bring us to is inherent in our new relationship as siblings is also a responsibility as siblings. When Cain, the beginning of the Bible, defiantly, perhaps even arrogantly asks, am I my brother's keeper? The answer definitely and assuredly is, yes, you are. We are called into community, to this thing called the church. And along with that is commitment and concern and care. And so James inserts this important word and reminder. And I think it's twofold. One is just for him himself, that we get to realize he loves them. He himself cares for them. And though he has had some hard things that he has has confronted them with, has challenged them with, it wasn't without a sincere care for them. He's not going to back down from saying what needs to be said. And we've pointed out together, and let's make the point again, church family, that's good for us. That's good for us. Yes, there's going to be times where we do not like what we've just heard. There's going to be times where the Spirit of God is going to convict us in such a way that we're going to say, ouch. And we want to shrink back from that. And, and there's going to be times, because I, I too want to make sure that I, as a pastor and whoever stands at this pulpit, would not shrink back from declaring what needs to be said. We want to follow that example. And then our responsibility as listeners of that and receivers of that, that we wouldn't shrink back, but that we would accept that truth spoken in love. Not only that those would preach and teach the word and tackle the tough stuff, but that we would receive and accept and live the word when it comes. And so there's a part where I believe it's just James wanting to share his heart, let him, letting them know I have something hard to say, but it's not without my love for you. And also, again, reminds us that we are family in the Lord. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If your church experience is that you come and you sit, and when I say amen, and you get up, and you leave, you grab your kids, and there's no other interaction. There's no other place where you insert yourself. Uh, I, I trust that you'll be fed, and it'll be good, but, but you'll forfeit. You will forfeit a greater blessing. You'll forfeit a greater, richer dynamic of forming and forging relationships that I really believe can be lifelong, and certainly they will be eternity long. But on this side of heaven, of meeting some amazing people 
We're not perfect, right? We're just like us. We mess up, sinful, messy, and yet pursuing God in grace and doing life together. And so if you allow your experience just to be, you just come to church, receive, you get up and you leave, you'll forfeit a blessing. James reminds us we're in this thing together. And what does he add? What's part of that responsibility together? He says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and then someone turns him back. Let's set the scenario that he creates here. And it reads almost like it's a hypothetical, right? If someone, or excuse me, if anyone among you wanders. Several things I want you to notice with me. I want you to notice with me to whom James is addressing this scenario. If anyone among you, you know what that means? It means all of us, any of us. If any one of us. He puts forth this condition. And the condition is that, well, it can be any of us. And what is it that we need to consider here then? What, 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 is, the, what is happening that creates this caution? Well, it's wandering. It's drifting. It's a departure. It's a deviation. But notice with me, it's from the truth. And so let's just pause there for a moment. We want to establish then from what position and from what pathway is James bringing this word of caution? Well, it's from truth that James is referring to. And he doesn't define that truth for us. And we can define it together. What truth is James speaking about? The truth of the gospel. The truth of who Jesus Christ is. The truth of God's love for you. God's care for you. God's forgiveness. God's purposes and God's plans. He just calls it the truth. The assertion that there's a truth. Which again is very unlike the world that we live in today, right? The world that we live in today uh, propagates relative truth. What's true for Clint isn't necessarily true for me. What's true for Bethany, right? We, we all have our own truth, the world would say. My truth and your truth. The Bible doesn't speak of truth that way. The Bible speaks of truth in absolutes. And we, as followers of Christ, we, we can be anchored to that and secure in that and know that there, there is an absolute truth that we can know. And it is found in, it is anchored in, it is centered in the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, um, some of you guys know, you know, we translate our notes uh, into Japanese and Yoko today's simultaneously speaking into Japanese and then um, for our Spanish speakers downstairs and Ukrainian speakers and our Chinese brothers and sisters too. It's quite amazing. But this isn't in my notes, so bonus for you guys, second service. <laughs> Before I came to know the Lord, one of the things that I felt like for me that I, I, I just genuinely wanted to know was I genuinely wanted to know what was true. And so that, that was the thing that I would say to people. I, I just want to know what's true. Because I, I feel like at the very least I understood that these different worldviews and faiths all couldn't be the same. You know, they couldn't be true together. And so I, I wanted to know what was true. And coming then to hear the gospel and have it then, you know, that seed planted and then God using people to water that seed and then the Lord drawing me that day, coming to open the scripture and I realized, oh, the truth is found in Christ. Like what I was seeking is found in the person of Jesus. And the Bible says of itself, right, that, that if we come to know the truth, it'll set us free. That Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. John writes of Jesus and he says, 
the word became flesh. Speaking of Christ, the incarnation, what we're going to be celebrating here in Christmas. And he lived, he dwelt amongst us. We have beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Son, full of grace and of truth, John 1, 14. And so this is the truth that James is talking about. The truth that anchors us, the truth that has saved us, the truth that girds us. The truth that we're all sinners saved by faith. Faith alone in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, according to the scriptures alone. Now James has already alerted us to the fact that we live in a world that's actively seeking to entice us away from truth. There are temptations (laughs) that all around us. There are worldviews. There are false religions. There are ideologies. All of them competing for your attention, competing for your embrace. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves in an undertow away from truth. During the summers here in Okinawa, one of the things our family loves to do is we love to go to the beach like many of you. And some days in December, you could probably pull it off, but if you discover, right, December is a manic month, right? It's cold one day, it's hot the next day, it's drunk, it doesn't know what it wants to do. <laughs> in the last few years, we've like, you know, have yourself a merry, humid Christmas. Right? So. But during the summer, it's just hot, right? It's just hot. And so one of the things we like to do is go to the beach, it's relaxing, it can be fun and but there are some things we have to be careful of, mindful of, watchful for. Depending what time you go and where you're at, you have to be careful of jellyfish. Some of them can give you a pretty bad sting. You certainly have to be mindful of the sun. Uh, put on sunblock and sunscreen and take care of your skin. Um, you have to be careful of dehydration. That's a real scary thing. Sometimes that offshore breeze and the sun, right, just wicks the moisture right out of you. And the next thing you know, you're dehydrated. That's, that's not a good thing. And along with that is also, you have to be careful of rip currents, riptides and undertows and, and these currents that you can't necessarily see above. But once you get in the water, uh, if you're not careful, right, they, they can sweep you out to sea. They can drag you far from where you started. And, and it's not too uncommon. There's been many a time we've gotten in the water and just kind of hanging out and floating around and all of a sudden you look and you're like, whoa, my stuff's way over there. Anyone experienced that? And those are the times where I'm like, thank God we live in Okinawa because if it was still at Huntington Beach, my stuff would be gone, right? (laughs) I'm so far away. Listen, there, there is a cultural undercurrent today. And if we're not mindful of its pull, we, we can get swept away from truth. We can find ourselves adrift. We can find ourselves wandering. And what James is describing, although he presents it as a hypothetical, it, it's in the realm of like, this is a possibility. And he is describing what I would say, sadly, is a familiar condition that we do find. We're professing brothers and sisters have wandered from the truth. That their focus shifts and their path changed, right? The vector changed and they wander from the truth. They've deviated because something has drawn them. And it can be a great myriad of bait and lures that will draw us away. And James says, talked about a few of them already. Worldly ambitions, the, uh, the world's definition of what it means to be rich or wealthy, what it means to be successful, the things that appeal to our flesh. He's talked about intellectual pride and how we need to humble ourselves. 
the appeal to self-gratification. There, there's a lot that can bait us, a lot that can lure us. You know, this word wander that he uses, it conveys the idea of a subtle and gradual departure. It's not an abrupt, all of a sudden, something's changed. It, it's gradual. And it usually begins with a, a loss of attention, a loss of focus, a lax of our disciplines. It sends, it sends people adrift. You know, I've mentioned before how um, there are certain things that I think when we engage in together, you can learn a lot about a person and their personality. One of them is uh, when you pray with somebody. You take some time and seek the Lord together, hear their heart and hear how they pray. Another, another fun way is when you play a game with somebody. <laughs> So I'm looking forward to New Year's Eve Eve. I hope that you can come out. It's always a lot of fun. We have some really good cooks in our church, by the way, too. And so it's always just good food and good soup. And sometimes people make bread. And it just, it's glorious. It's awesome. But along with the fun is that I invite you to bring your favorite board game or some card games. And I'll make a plug, by the way. And we have stuff for the kids. We'll open up the first floor classrooms. And so there's a safe space. And it's just good wholesome family fun that we can have together. But I like, I like playing a game with people because you get to learn their personality. Right? You realize like, oh, this person's competitive, you know, or, or they're sneaky, or they're a really good liar. You know, like you, you, you find out a lot about a person. Another way you can find out a lot about a person is when you travel with them. And so we've done missions trips and uh, make another plug, right? We're planning to go to Israel in 2024, May, June, that time frame. So recycle your cans and save your yennies. And uh, there's been many a time where we've gone on a missions trip or in Israel. And I'm like, oh, you're the wanderer person, right? There's always one. <laughs> they just have, they just march to their own beat, right? Here's the itinerary. Here's where we're supposed to go. We're on the bus. We're like, where's so-and-so? They're still in the shop or taking their time. And right, they're just kind of meandering around. My, my son's like that. Nehemiah's like that. He doesn't care what the agenda is. He just makes his own. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, it's okay if you're, on a, if you're on a trip or you're traveling. All right, there, there's room there. All right, you want to meander? Go for it. We'll find you. Bring an ice cream when you're late, you know. <laughs> but it's not okay when it comes to the truth. You want to meander on a trip? Go for it. But we don't want to meander from the truth. And often it begins subtly and gradually. It's just there's a seed of disinterest. There's a seed of, I'll call it, unrestrained distraction. Just allow other things to take that space that you once gave for Bible study, for your devotions, that space and time that you once had when you would get up and pray and all of a sudden now it's just social media scrolling and then you look up and your time's all. I got to get going. That space and all of a sudden other things begin to fill it. And it's not necessarily bad things in themselves. Netflix and YouTube and other media and other things. But I want to submit to you in love that often where our minds and thoughts go, our feet and our heart will follow. And then what happens? We begin to drift from fellowship. We begin to drift from make a commitment to be at church, to worship and hear the word. Other things begin to crowd out our time where we used to, you know, maybe be part of a small group or Bible study. And it becomes gradual. And all of a sudden, then it's uh, our time with the very people that we made relationships with and friendships with in those circles. That, that begins to drift. And it's the wanderer who then departs from what they once held dear and what they once gave importance and time to. 
And now the priority of worldly pursuits and pleasures has taken that spot. And by observation, I, I imagine you've seen it too. What eventually happens in that gradual progression is when the spiritual life begins to slip, then so does their moral life and their convictions. It's almost like the reverse of what James is writing here happens. That they no longer are patient. They become impatient. They no longer guard their mouth. They, they'll just say whatever. They become the grumblers and the complainers and the gossips and the backbiters. They no longer take personal responsibility, but they're blaming others and they're blaming God and they're blaming the system and they're blaming the world. They don't count it joy when they begin to encounter trials and struggles. It's the reverse. And, and if left unchecked, right, it becomes a rejection of God's truth. It becomes a repackaging. It's like the Christian salad bar. I'll just take these things, but I'm going to leave that. I'm going to just take the things that I like. And, and they reconstruct God in their own image, according to their own liking. A God is okay with their sin and their lifestyle who they think is okay that they've indulged their flesh in the way that they talk and how they live in sin. Gang, when we wander in our minds and our disciplines, we will wander in our actions. And so James lays out this cautionary condition. And, and the, to me, the crux of it is, is if, if anyone among you, and the idea is that all of us then have this potential, right? All of us have this, maybe I can say it this way, a propensity. Because so we fight against the flesh. And any one of us can go spiritual AWOL. You know, I think about the enigma of Judas, who sat with Jesus, talked with Jesus, who was entrusted with resources, who saw and ate and, and, and participated in the miracles. He had a front row seat to watch Jesus do all that he did. And yet he, if you will, went spiritually AWOL. I, I think of better men and women in my life that I've known who untethered themselves from the anchor of Christ. And as Paul describes of Hymenus and others, they, they too suffered shipwreck of their faith and wrecked their family and wrecked their ministry and wrecked their careers. And so I think there's a part of this for us that we want to be careful. The Bible says, be careful where you stand lest you fall, right? We don't want to be so foolish nor arrogant to think that we're not capable of the same error. But that we might together affirm in humble or humility and in a, in a renewed surrender to the spirit of the Lord and submission to one another. Because here's what he offers. He says, if anyone among you, that, that can be any of us, wanders from the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of grace, and then someone turns him back. It's also yet another undisclosed, someone, who's someone? You are. <laughs> Note with me what James doesn't write. He doesn't write, call the elders as he did earlier. He doesn't write, take note of that lest you make the same error. He doesn't write, pray and weep for these lost, drifting people. Now, all of those things can happen. It's not to negate, to say that we shouldn't weep and we shouldn't take note and we shouldn't do what we can to involve people in our life who are spiritual leaders and, and, and speak into us to be a part of that. 
But when he writes and someone turns him back, I want to submit to you that someone, well, it's you. It's me. And in context, then it is, then if you have a relationship with this person. I think God is practical. It's not as though like all of us are responsible for all and any all of us. If God's brought you into a, a community and you have connection or relationship with people, inherent that is more than just dinner and board games. To do life together and speak truth and love and as iron sharpens iron and to be genuinely concerned and caring for the person that you're doing life with. And again, that doesn't negate then that God himself through the spirit is one who will convict us and call us. I mean, certainly that happens. Our good shepherd is in the business of drawing our hearts to him and drawing our hearts back to him. Jesus said, the spirit of truth will come to convict us, lead us, guide us, comfort us. When I read about the uh, prodigal son, there's not another person standing on the outside of the pig pen saying, bro, what's wrong with you? What are you doing in the mud? And what, look what you're eating. Like you're stupid. Get up and let's go. We can trust it was the Spirit of God who brought that revelation, conviction, realization, enabled them to get up and realize, I, I'm gonna, I, have it, I had it better at my father's house, and he went back. And so it, it isn't to say that the Spirit of God won't arrest our hearts and that the Spirit of God can't convict us even if we're by ourselves from the air of our ways. It's not exclusive of that. But there is a highlight of the fact of our relationship that it is our, God, our God-given, if I can say it this way, privilege, responsibility, that we would be committed in care and concern for people that God has brought into our life in this season. I can certainly... For me, as the pastor of our church, the call and the charge that God has placed upon my life, I, I take it seriously and soberly. Where I'm told to know the state of God's flock. That I'm not called to lord over people. But as the under-shepherd to our chief shepherd, whom, to whom you and I belong. Right? Jesus ultimately is our senior pastor of this church. But included in that is care and love and tending and involvement and pursuit. But it's not my responsibility exclusively. That's what James is getting at. In the parallel passage to this is a Galatians 6.1. Paul says, brethren, if a person is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Sometimes we read that, we think, oh, that means spiritual leader. No, no, it doesn't mean spiritual leader. You are spiritual. It means spiritual family. It means invested. And what are we to do? Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And so we're not talking only leaders, but as a mandate for all of us, as the body of Christ, we have spiritual connection to each other. It's spiritual. Because you and I, we have unsafe friends. And, and most of them, at least if your friends are like my friends who don't know the Lord yet, they don't care if we're in sin. They don't care if we've wandered from the truth. Sometimes they're, they're the ones who are trying to draw us from the truth. They'll rejoice when we do. But who cares about that? Well, it's our spiritual family who God designed that we would be primarily his hands and feet, his heart, and his mouthpiece. I mean, how did God bring David back and convict and rebuke him? 
when he fell into sin? Oh, he could have sent an angel. The Bible says God sent Nathan to David. 2 Samuel 12.1 And sometimes God will send a bro or sister into your life. Sometimes God will send you. Notice verse 20, it says, And let him, to let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way. And so it's describing essentially the same thing, wandering from the truth. It's a, a sinner who is turning from the error of his way. But again, I want you to note the way it's phrased. It's the error of their way. I've heard it said that every sin is an inside job. And what that means is that it's to say it's our sin and it's our fault. It's a willful act. It's the error of a person's way. We, again, James has already told us we need to take personal accountability and responsibility. It's not, we don't blame a system or a person or society or church or God. Right? Every deviation from the word of God is our own decision. James told us it's when we're enticed by our own desires. That's what gives birth to sin. And so it's turning someone from their way, their error, their sin. But notice with me, he doesn't prescribe the method or the manner by which this happens. What does that look like? You call a meeting? Do you go beat them up? Read a letter? What's the manner and the method in which this happens? It doesn't, he doesn't tell us. There are other Bible verses. We can go outside of James. It gets a little bit of light and context that whatever it is that we should care enough that we would say something, that we would do something. And so I'll offer three things. We want to make sure when we're engaged in this that our, that our motive is love. Paul writes to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, he says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Remember when Paul writes to the Corinthians and he talks about all the great things that a person can do, how they can worship or how they can give, and he makes this qualifier. You, you can do all that. You can give your body. You can give your stuff away. You can, you can sound great. But if you don't have love, then it mounts to nothing. And so we want to make sure that we're, we're coming with sincere love and care for this person. There's times where people... The religious try to confront Jesus, but it wasn't out of love, right? It's out of legalism. It's only out of a got you attitude. We don't, there's no room for that in the body of Christ. How else are we to do it? I read earlier in Galatians 6, we're to do so considering ourselves. The idea is that we need to have a spirit of humility. We don't come in on a high horse, holier than thou. Remember, Jesus says, hey, we got to be careful that before you go and think that you're going to take a speck out of somebody's eye, that you know, you're there walking with a two by four in your own eye. And lastly, it is with gentleness. So no, we're not to put a spiritual beat down on our uh, siblings. We're not called to embarrass people or broadcast their sins amplified their errors. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, right? It's when we're overwhelmed with the goodness and grace that I am messed up, I am jacked up, and yet God loved me anyways. And we become overwhelmed by the goodness of God and the grace of God. And church family, I want to what I'm looking for. Challenge us? Is that a good word? That we, we should adopt that same approach. Care enough 
Confront, but do it with kindness. We want to be those who uh, we say what we mean and we mean what we say, but don't say it mean. But engage. And it doesn't help the person if you water it down. Because it's good for our souls just to say it straight. It is truth and love. How do we do that? Notice James doesn't say. If anyone, that's any of us, anyone, turn them from their way. It's a call, it's a text, it's a telegram, it's a cup of coffee. By any means necessary. If you really love that person, then go and engage them, share your heart. Then what happens? Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of their way will save a soul from death. Cover a multitude of sins. What's the result? What's the impact? When someone cares enough to engage a brother or sister and say, hey, you're wandering from the path. Where are you? How are you? What's going on? And as much as you're able to say, you you need to come back. You're heading in the wrong direction. What happens? There's a great blessing. Death and destruction are avoided. What's the penalty if someone goes AWOL in the military? I had to look it up. It's not good. And, and sometimes it, it varies depending on the, what, you know, the, where you're at. But it can be a loss of pay. It can be you lose rank. It, it can be imprisonment. Can be dishonorably discharged again, depending on the circumstances. That's severe. What's the penalty to be spiritually AWOL? It's also not good. James says you can save a soul from death. When I read that, I think that's not good. <laughs> now there's debate. What does he mean? Is he Is he talking about physical death? Is he talking about spiritual death? I mean, is James talking about the idea that a brother or sister who've wandered from God's truth, that all of a sudden now they have wandered away from salvation itself? It's curious. I I would subscribe to you, and our time doesn't permit, that I believe the Bible teaches a believer in Christ, maybe I have to qualify it, a true believer in Christ cannot lose their salvation. Right? We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Someone said, oh, we can't lose it, but we can leave it. I don't know. I don't want to find out. But I, I want to submit to you, the very least, I think where we can agree is that James is highlighting the seriousness of sin the seriousness of unrepentant sin. And certainly for the unsaved sinner who comes to faith, their soul is saved. And perhaps that's the emphasis that James is making. It's a restoration to the place of blessing that God's provided when we come to our saving faith. But whatever the interpretation, I think it's safe to say the idea of saving a soul from death and the covering of a multitude of sins, that both of those things are afforded by the fact that Christ died for us. And those are good things. Those are things that we can celebrate. Those are things that we should want for people that we care about. Amen? In Luke chapter 15, Jesus shares this parable about the lost sheep, and he he says there's a hundred of them. One goes AWOL. The shepherd goes and finds it, brings it back, and he comes back to his friends and he says, let's party. Jesus makes commentary in that and he says, I tell you the truth, in the same way there's going to be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who didn't need to repent, Luke 15, 7. 
When the prodigal son comes back, the father runs. It's a crazy scene, right? Runs to the son, embraces him, hugs him, clothes him, restores him. They're like, let's have a barbecue. They celebrate together. Here's the weight of that last verse, I think. It's to realize our our genuine care and concern for one another, it has the potential to change a life. It has the potential to save a a, a life, to save a marriage, to save a family, to save a career, to save another person from destruction and disaster. Let him know that he, someone, James would say, be that someone. And with that, that's the end of James. There's no benediction. There's no sign-off. Okay, where's the rest? We're good. He started with some flying punches and he ends with some flying punches. But uh, in love, we receive this exhortation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your, your love and your grace in our lives. Hard words, but I trust good words for each of us. God, I pray you'd help us if we're the one who's wandering, Lord. But even right now, as we hear your spirit speak, you are a good shepherd. It's because you love us. It's your kindness. When we get overwhelmed with that, Lord, we pray that we respond to your spirit. And if we've been adrift, that, Lord, we would repent. We'd turn around and come back to you. Lord, if, if there's someone that we thought of as we read this, may we not ignore your prompting, but take action upon it to do what we can do. And ultimately, Lord, we realize that the drawing of a heart is really a function of your spirit. We just get to be the, the messenger of that. But Lord, help us not to think lightly of our privilege and responsibility that we have together in this season. And we realize, realistically, you can't do that for every single person, but we can do that for one. We can do that for two. And so, Lord, may may we do that and that we would do that well and that we'd have people in our life that would do that for us. So we thank you, Lord, for James. We thank you for the scriptures and our journey through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. I pray.